0: My guest today is Anna Twine, founder of Reach Out to Horses, a group that travels the globe supporting the education of natural horsemanship and animal communication. Anna's amazingly full life and experience working with horses and other animals has a lot to teach us about the evolution ahead for humans, and I encourage you to add your own context to some of Anna's stories, as this episode is really unlike any other you'll hear on the Supergivers podcast. I'm here with um, one of my teachers. I can call you that, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, at least one time, yeah. Anna 20. Are, where are you right now? Are you in Colorado?
1: I'm in Colorado, yes, in Elizabeth, Colorado.
0: Thank you so much for being on the show.
1: It's my pleasure.
0: With all that you do, if someone were to have just 20 seconds to hear a description of how you show up in the world right now, how do you describe that?
1: 20 seconds, eh? <laughs> <laughs> it, You know, if, if you give me the poetic license, I would say one way to say it is, is a speaker, author, life coach, animal communicator, horse whisperer. These are kind of words, right? They're words and titles. But what does it truly mean? It truly means that I'm going out there to make a difference. And my life purpose is to give a voice to the voiceless. And it doesn't matter if that piece means that we're looking at children or women, men, geriatric individuals, pensioners, Mm -hmm. or indeed if we're looking at the foals, the mustangs, the problem children of the horses. Indeed, my job takes me all over the world and I can talk to all species. So yes, you know me in the capacity of horse whisperer, but the glory really is that the horse whispering opened the door up for the telepathic piece to really take a hold and for people to embrace it and to look at the extraordinary gifts we have to give a voice to these animals, not simply through body language, but through that energetic exchange, through the nonverbal, through the silence, through the mind. And for me that's the difference. So I guess I like to say that I do my best to shine my light and bring a difference in the world today.
0: When when in your life did you first realize you could communicate with animals in this way?
1: I'd love to tell you that it was as a child. And I'd love to tell you that we all have these imaginary friends and play outside. I had the fortune to grow up in Germany, in rural Germany, where children were allowed to be children and you could venture out all day. But I still raise that question of, was I really talking to animals then and calling in the birds or the wildlife I don't think so, not so much. And I think I had to go through a ton of grooming, honestly, of touching, handling, learning, and having big spills along the way. So my first true, true recollection, and this is being exceedingly honest because I hear everybody say, well, I've done it all my life. And I'm sure we do, Jesse. I'm sure we do connect and we see people being drawn to animals. But the truth is I was in California. Um, I was at Flaggers Farms at Monty Roberts at the time I was the head instructor there. And I remember clearly walking down the aisle way and seeing a vision that was not mine. That was the animal communication class um, or the piece that really blew my mind. Now, if I need to separate this a little bit, if where did I know that I had horse whisperer capabilities? Oh, when I took a year sabbatical and began to explore it and and really delved into it, developed it, and went all the way to California to leave everything behind to say, there's something to this, and I want to bring it back, not just to the British police force, but also to all horses in the UK. That was the vision. That was the vision.
0: So for people who may not know as much as you and I do about the the horse whispering world and the equine world, I wonder if you can give sort of a a Reader's Digest summary of what's most important about this to you?
1: For me and the word that I like to pass on, the forward, giving it forward, paying it forward, and the importance would be who we are in the world. If I can give you one word, it would be authenticity. It would Hmm. be concurrency because that's what it is. It's all about people taking ownership of who they are and really looking inside to understand what they're bringing to the table. And that means becoming authentic. So much to that because we could see authenticity as lying to oneself or indeed who we are in the world. But a lot of this is about getting to know ourselves, to say how I move. Oops. Oh, I can't turn that off yourself.
0: <laughs> that's, that's one of those wonderfully human moments of, of I think, congruency.
1: <laughs> yeah, because I'm thinking if I mute you, I mute everything. Okay, but um, it's about the congruency of realizing that our language consists more of words than words, and realizing that there's unspoken words between us. That we're watching people's eyes, and if we're truly listening, we'll see how deep their emotions flow underneath. We can see congruency between the eyes and the body language. You could learn to read facial expressions and movement and identify pain, but this goes far beyond that. What are we picking up, you know, those, those waves between us? What are we picking up energetically? And it's that congruency that I'm talking about. Yeah. The animals live there. Every animal lives there. They're pretty congruent. You can see the worry, concern, fear, excitement in the eyes, and it will be matched in the body. Then they're, they're not going to lie. And so it's humans that have learned to put a face on and put a mask on. And so with the horses in particular, over any other species, you can't lie. They'll show it. You know, you could have this quiet horse and... Bring a lot out of them. They could be shy and you could come in too bold. And so thus you couldn't catch them or get close to them. But somebody else could have the same body language and the horse would stand still. It's not all about body language. So therefore the intention plays a part. The agenda plays a part. And I feel that this is my biggest piece. The day in part with people it's not the horse's fault it's not the animal's fault we need to understand their culture their dialect their dialogue but ultimately we need to understand ourselves in order to know what we're causing and how they're responding around us
0: yeah it's it' forgive me I'm not trying to uh, lump you in here it, it's a similar message it sounds like that some people might be familiar with the work of Caesar Milan with dog training I'm not saying you come from the same perspective or not, but, um, more the focus on let's, let's focus on the human part of this and how we can get ourselves more more attuned and congruent rather than sort of, um, like scapegoat the animal at worst, or at least like lose ourselves and just focus on the animal. Does that seem a fair comparison?
1: Well, actually, no.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: <laughs> but, but it it opens that door for me because it's a beautiful door to open. Because yes, for the naked eye, when we look at dog whispering or horse whispering, we look at we're looking at taking responsibility. However, more of the traditional animal whispering is dominance based, and we're looking at dominance meaning force or firmness, and our view, our mindset put upon them. This is different. This is the part of looking at their culture to say, well, a horse in a 12 by 12 stall, that's not right. Their culture would be, or their their habitat is to live outside, their culture is to live in in a herd. But beyond that, now, beyond that, it would be very easy to look through a horse's eyes and say, Well, they're rough housing. They're biting each other. They're kicking each other. So that gives us permission to do the same. Well, they do dominance, that gives us permission to do the same. They don't. Most horses aren't dominant-based. Most are passive leaders. They don't kick the other's ass, honestly, or hiney. They don't do that. They live in harmony for the most part. So therefore, one, it's not um, it's not acceptable that we as predators suddenly adopt that force or violence, and then say, "Oh, well, it's okay, they do it amongst their herd. They're prey on prey. We're predator versus prey. So that gives a very different impression anyway. And then on top of that, it's not about who wins over the other, because there's no winning in a team, mm-hmm. so then you look at it that it's a silent language. So the silent language means what, what happens between those notes? What happens between movements? What's that animal thinking? Can we get underneath that mind to mind? Because they're so smart, they can pick up on your thought. They know your thought. They can tap into your thoughts. So that means the whisper is, is in the thought, not the action. It also means that we can't really allow ourselves to go dominant-based because then we're confirming to them that we're predators. So how much better if we're smarter and we work with the mind and not the mass? And how much? Nicer if we work gently, kindly, and with them, just like we would with a child, in effect, and stay away from the firmness and redirect thought patterns because we know the behavior so well. And then we never need to get to the firmness. Where,
0: where do you see this? Like, for, for people who are learning this with you, what's your hope for how they take it back into their human world?
1: I have many hopes, Jesse, yeah. for them. No, I really do. I have hopes that they see the horses and the animals another way, that they realize the language is silent and in a way a little bit secret because not everybody knows about it, that they realize that we're we're all connected, that we're all one. And so therefore, we can communicate through silent gestures. That's, of course, a hope for me, that people go home and say these are sentient individuals and we're here as shepherds. We're here as stewards. That would be a hope that's a portion of it. It would be like a page, and my other piece is to realize you know why why are we truly here? Are we in pursuit of happiness because that's what I think most people are here doing, and we could learn so much from the animals and It's easy to say, "We'll find your peace and quiet by snoozing in the afternoon like the dogs do or or realize that the horses don't have that many obligations so it's easy to be in a stress-free environment. No, 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 it goes way beyond that. What happens when we approach an individual? Are we totally in our head? Can they teach us presence Mm -hmm. and be present? What if we approach now and we've already got our mindset down a certain path that it has to go this way? Well, now they're going to teach us flexibility. What if somebody has so much control That they say you can't look left and right. You've got to stand here. Don't move until I tell you to move. What kind of life is that? Now we have a servant. We we're not stewarding them. We're controlling them. That being will lose every single will. They'll get they get their eye glazed over. They become compliant. It's no longer compassionate horsemanship, it's compliance. Mm. So this goes way beyond horsemanship of learning feel and timing and balance and connection and communication. This, like you just said, goes that step deeper. So it can be superficial that people say, hey, I learned to communicate silently, or they take it upon themselves to look inside and say, how do I take this home? Do I learn to be present? And in the present moment, do I learn that flexibility is the key? You know, do I learn to feel again? If somebody's put up such an armor and a guard around their heart that they didn't know how to love, let alone love themselves, what if they they have to learn to love themselves in order to learn to love that little foal? That's a huge piece. So I guess I don't have a single hope of authenticity or congruency. My hope goes bigger than that to To make a change in the lives of every animal. And each life counts. And so therefore, by giving them a voice, and people realize they're sentient beings, and then they realize that there's a partnership and that healing can happen for them and us. Now, it changes, it changes the way we see all individuals. And it brings us to that oneness.
0: Yeah, that's definitely been part of the impact for me working with horses is to practice being in a sensitive relationship based on such fine attunement, if I can bring that to my human herd, then the results are really satisfying and really compassion-based rather than compliance-based. I like how you said that.
1: That's it. And it's difficult. You know, when you first learn a new craft, of course, you need some degree of system and you need an ABC to say, okay, I'm going to walk in like this. And this is what my body has to do. And what's the difference between direct approach versus passive approach? Where are my eyes meant to be? And the back of the hand versus the front. So there's an awful lot to learn of weight distribution and. You know, when we did the pole gentling, how do we create that as an extension of our arm? It doesn't come just naturally. You have to learn to do it. So, of course, I don't think the first thing is that it's fluid or that it's second nature. You know, that has to come in time. So, everybody needs the practice. When we take it back to our lives, we need to practice it. We need to integrate it. I think it's really easy to be a compassionate human when the going is not. Tough when it's you no, know, when it gets tough, things are different. I think everybody's true colors come out when life is difficult. It's very easy to go along swimmingly and be a compassionate person until everything hits the fan. Then who are you? And that's where the horses can help to say, Who are you? Who are you when I charge you?
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: we had a foal the other day, a Spanish Mustang, a yearling. And no human interaction is necessarily caused this. And that's highly, highly unusual in my career. Little black guy, he's called Morocco, and he's got a white star. And you go in, and, and my student had amazing intentions. She's a trainer student. She's really good. She's got the experience. And this foal said, you're between me and the food. He rears up, well, yelling. He rears up. He pins his ears. He opens his mouth, and he comes at her. She, she honestly didn't create it. It's not something that she missed the whisper. She didn't create it. He did. He had been food deprived for a little bit. He had grown up with his herd of yearlings for a little bit. So there was no adult managing them. Hmm. And he was a human between him and the food. And he says, you need to move. And I'm going to use this behavior that you understand. And you'll move. Wow. Isn't that interesting? So her gender was great. Her body language was great. So what are you going to do in the face of adversity? What are you going to do? So she said, you know, my instinct might have been to lash out. And I went, of course, that's your instinct. You're going to save your throat that he's coming to. It's instinct. But what could we do differently? And what could we do better? And that's what she said. She said, I don't have the tools. I don't know what to do. And he's a yearling. So now we have to take the environment into account, the environment. He grew up with the youngsters. Now we also have to take into account that he didn't have Endless food. So he's worried about it. And we also have to take into account he didn't mean it. He was simply protecting his food and she was in the way. So that means it's not like it's learnt behavior that he's acting out towards another. It was his reaction. So we have the duty to teach him another response to say, that's not okay in our world. We won't meet violence with violence, but we're going to move you off that food. In a way you understand, eyes on eyes, shoulders square, I'm going to stand my ground, you need to back off, and we're going to show you what manners are in our world, because in our world that's not acceptable, and it's going to get you into big, big trouble. And so my point, my point is, sometimes we need to expose ourselves to bigger things, Jesse, to say, how would I react? What would I do in a situation that's unfamiliar to you? And that's where the horses bring it out. They bring out the truth. What would you do when you don't know? Who are you when you don't have the formula? Mm. I love that piece. That's what you take home. You know, for me, that's what you take home because that's what you're going to do to the kids or the wife or the, you know, the missus, whatever, the the people, workers. That's what people do. Um, So the more stress in our lives, the more we become reactive. And so therefore we're learning to there's my boy. We're learning to breathe through it. We're learning to ground ourselves. We're learning to be present. We're learning body language and we're learning mind control, discipline.
0: So you've been doing various, you know, evolutions of your work for over 20 years now. Is that right?
1: It is. You know, if we go all the way back, right? The whole thing started at 17, ah. <laughs> so 30 years. And if we go even further back with horses, I was 10. But ultimately, you're looking at the age of 17, looking at um, body language, ultimately. Jesse, I started studying body language at 17. The police force, I joined the police right. at 18. Oh, right, at 18.
0: Yeah. I did.
1: And I started to learn the body language, which in England, it's the body language that kept you safe and alive because We don't have weapons, so you better understand another person's body language.
0: Wow, that is so interesting. When obviously gun control in the US is such a huge deal, um, not necessarily gun control, really safety. And in the UK, I someone told me about this the other day, I'm not sure if it's the UK or if it's England, um, that most or a percentage of officers are not armed,
1: and that's all, all, officers all. Are okay. Armed. So you, what you have is the opposite. You have one armed vehicle, I believe, per county. You might have more nowadays, but everybody's unarmed except for those that are trained in that.
0: With your role uh, yeah. as an officer, you had to become extremely sensitive to the environment and particularly to the people you would interact with in order to track your own safety and well-being.
1: Correct. That's exactly it. You're the only one out there. You were only double crewed occasionally, potentially at nighttime, double crewed and everything else. You're single crewed. That's one person per vehicle. No firearms and often no backup. So what you're doing is you're reading like you described the environment, the energy, the situation, you're becoming diligent, you're looking at every nuance that they're giving, you're learning if they're lying or telling the truth and what their intentions are because that's all you have. You have the gift of communication, that's all. And if you're terrible at it, you're going to get hurt. And as a female, a young female in the force, you better learn that quickly to survive.
0: Wow yeah I can imagine I can imagine do you so my my question it's it, it was going a different direction and then I got really curious about this so you can feel free to include the officer experience in my question here so I, I'm curious about 20 you know 30 plus years of sort of being oriented towards um, human relationship in this attuned way you talk about voiceless uh, voicelessness right and specifically you're doing a lot of that work with the animals. Can you can you give me an inspiring anecdote of a human who you've seen or an interaction you had maybe where somebody somebody really grew and was able to apply themselves to the world in a way that they became less voiceless
1: You know I can give you many and and I and I love the thought of that because I've worked with people that are abled and disabled. I've worked with people in wheelchairs and people that have been hearing impaired or vision impaired too. When you've got the kid screaming on the concrete, this is another one, hanging on for dear life, not wanting to go to school, and they find horses and they find horsemanship. When you've got the veteran that has not been able to love again since he's come home and his heart is so solid behind those iron bars because he's protecting himself and you see them melting because if he wants to be authentic and he's truly saying i'm doing compassionate horsemanship he's got to find that compassion within he has to and to see him change and instead of live in the past or in his head or thoughts or try to systemize something and realize you can't systemize it it's a wild horse he needs you here. He needs you to be present. And in order to do that, the only way forward is to feel and to watch that heart come back where he couldn't hug to him being able to hug with love. Those are the miracles, right?
0: Totally. Yeah. That's the miracles. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> so I want to pivot a little bit to the... Political landscape of uh, what's going on. I'm not going to have the the articulation for this as well. What what I what really struck me when we were together in Sherwood, I think, was the day that you you spoke briefly about the premarin issue.
1: I did, yeah.
0: And what I'm curious about is for people to have kind of a really thirty thousand foot view on what parts of this work do you think matter most politically.
1: Mm. It's hard to pinpoint one area right? because as I began on my journey, the vision shifted. And instead of having school horses that in a way would act like a placebo effect. So, for example, if they'd been through certain procedures, they would simply give it to a person. For me, that wasn't life coaching. It was an automated response from a horse. And so I watched that and I began to integrate in the rescues, brought in a ton of rescues from Premarins to wild horses. And it was a win-win. And my vision there was to say, let's give a voice to these horses and give them a second chance. So we'll train them. So you guys learn the truth. You learn real authentic horsemanship because these aren't finished, polished individuals and the horses get a second chance and They get a voice. That's how it all began, and that is 20 years ago now. And as the doors then opened, I began to learn about the plights, the plight of the BLM horse, the Mustang, the plight of the fish and game horse, the wild horse, plight of the tribal foals, the tribal horses, and it moved us into the premrins, pregnant mare urine; the nurse foals, and the feedlot foals. So every time I'd work with horses, more doors would open for me to learn, look at all of these guys. They're being used, they're being abused. They don't have a voice, they don't have a say on their career, their lifestyle, where they live or with whom they live. They're a product, or they're a byproduct. And how can we make the change? Well, for me the change comes through education of course I can save that one starfish. We pull out every year like you witness, we pull out tribal foals or mustangs and we'll help them from the feedlot or wherever they might be, could be BLM holding pens. And that works for sure because that life counts and that life matters, I know that. I know, I think I've worked with 30, 40 this year. Those lives count for sure. But it's not the big picture. It's not. So each individual one has to be looked at to say, we're we're having the wool pulled over our eyes with the Bureau of Land Management, the horses I've seen and I've been to many um, open spaces like the Pryor Mountains, the McCullough Peaks and other places, and they're living rich and fine. And it's not about the 10-year projection of there won't be food less. Yes, there's droughts, I get that. But we have the solution and the solution is birth control for these horses. Right. It's called PZP. It's easily implemented. It's done every nine months. You get volunteers to do it. $27 a shot. And you don't have to have any horses and holding pens. And the numbers would be kept low. And everybody has birth rights. We have solutions. So there's the political piece, which is saying, you know what, there's they're, they're eating and grazing the land down from the cows. No, they're not. We're talking about water. We're talking about oil. We're talking about gas. We're talking about housing and farming, not the one thing you're telling us. And you have the solution. There's a piece of it. Oh, Education is key because there's a lot of dishonest statements being made. Education's the key for the premier once upon a time 50,000 mares were on the p line in order to harvest the pregnant mares urine for hormone replacement therapy so that meant that the 50,000 mares had to give birth every year their baby a byproduct purely for mankind now this bit is interesting for you because
0: let me let me just pause you for people yeah. for people who may not be familiar just to clarify you're talking about hormone medication for humans.
1: Correct. And yeah. it's hormone replacement therapy for women, you know, going through the change that don't want to go through the the hot and cold flushes and so on. And it's interesting because it's a life for a hot and cold flush, right? And the doctors, I believe, are educated on the fact that these horses are living freely. So they look at, well, horses are fine, foals are fine. What's the problem? Well, you know what? They're not living freely. They have to be in a st- small stool, standing up, concrete with a bit of straw, and they have like a pea sack attached to them. Their water's regulated, so their intake of water, and they collect the urine. They're not free. Their baby's taken from them at three months of age, first sign of frost. They never see that child again, and that child is slipped, shipped off in a trailer to the feedlot, that means slaughter. They go back on the P line, so that's really, really harsh and cruel. And when you know that there's a solution out there, there's no need for any of this. And this, this is the thing, there's a solution to the wild horses. It's not a problem, there's a solution. It's not the same with the HRT. It's not a problem, you know what, don't do it. I understood that there's 19 other alternatives on flowers. We don't need this. There's other alternatives. So it's all about educating the doctors, educating the people. Because the pharmaceutical companies are going to create the drug. It's a billion-dollar industry. They're not going to stop doing that. And they never will because it's a billion-dollar industry. So now we have to educate the doctors to say, could you prescribe something different, more plant-based? See, once upon a time when they were doing it here in the United States, they got sued. And um, Wyeth got sued, and they got sued by so many people it's my understanding, for cancer and blood clots, that they took it elsewhere to Canada. And then Pfizer took over, and Pfizer is still harvesting this and creating byproducts, etc. So they're not going to stop doing it, and without the demand, they won't stop. The key is the education to say, "Look at this foal in the eyes, and can you be responsible?" for him going to slaughter, really. They're incredible beings, incredible. And the horses are here to help beyond (laughs) taking us around on horseback or pleasing us through performance or farming in third world countries. They're incredible healers and life coaches. So they've created another niche for themselves. And given the opportunity, we can manage the quantity of unwanted horses here, with great ease.
0: If you wanted to mobilize anybody who's listening who who wants to be involved in either supporting the solutions you're talking about with the BLM or the premeran um, herds, how, where would you direct them?
1: You know, there's so many ways. One way, of course, is to pick up the phone and and call the senators. And I and I question that, Jesse. I really do. Of how much does that? make a change i feel like this it it's all about solution based and there's been a number of documentaries created about the plight with the american mustang but it has to be solution based, and the solution is pzp birth control and so it's about bringing that to the forefront of individuals going to the local blm um management bureau of land management area and saying are you doing pzp are you supporting it do you have a volunteer base can we get trained up to do it you could you know there's a couple really cool ones like the McCullough peaks they have friends of a legacy Hmm. and they created a volunteer program and it's the volunteers amongst others as well as the blm staff that go out and administer the pzp so they might check on the water they might ship in water or get funding to ship in water if there's um, a drought for that year. So there's a number of there's another one called Friends, Friends of Horses here in Colorado. So there's many states that will have volunteer organizations that one could support because they have a say because it, there's so many layers to it. You could go to the Senate. You can go to Washington. You can sign different petitions. You can join a volunteer company, you can write letters, or you can educate yourself and tell your doctor, I'm not taking um, Premarin. So there's so many layers that nobody sitting at home needs to go, Oh, wasn't that interesting? Thank you, click, put the phone down and we're we're ending the conversation. (laughs) No, there is a call to action here. And the call to action doesn't mean you have to adopt a horse. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you have to you know, have millions of dollars to be able to allow them to roam free on your land, you can educate yourself and then spread that wisdom. And there's a lot that people can be done doing, even in the comfort of their own homes.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Let's give some space for you. I would love to know, know what workshops and projects you're most excited about for 2019.
1: Isn't it interesting? I love the way you say most excited because there's nothing I don't do that I don't have a passion for. And so when you continue coming back with me, you're going to see that, Jesse. You're going to see, I love my fold gentling. I love my Mustang gentling. These guys are the Wikipedias at the horse world. They're incredible. You want to learn about feel and timing and energy and movement, you learn from the wild ones nobody knows it better than they do. You look at them the wrong way, they're gone. You know, you think too far ahead, you're going to get hurt. All of these wonderful things, huge passion. But I have other passions too. And my other passions include from the ground up, taking the horse for spring all the way through to say, let's help that colt for his first day of saddling. Let's make this day one of the best day of his life, not his worst. So, not make it dominant space, but truly work with him at a speed that either he learns he can do, so he gets self empowered, or at a speed that we slow it down a tab because they need more time. So, I love my cult starting, and I love the programs where people come for a year. So, it's not literally a year. Like the holistic horse course, it's it's two weeks, so twelve days. Or 24 days all in. And you see people learn the psychology and the herd dynamics and the culture and the body language and intention and movement and self awareness. We put all of that into the program. So you can imagine if they decide to do four weeks back to back, they excel or they decide to come two weeks in another year, another two weeks. That for me is class as a foundation. You can be an equine enthusiast. A manager, a groom, you could be part of a therapeutic riding barn or a rescue or equine coaching. We attract them all. That course is only once a year. It's in Oregon next year. That opens the doors for the really passionate people. And they move into the fall gentling and the mustangs and the colt starting and so on. So we have the program for people to get their toes wet if they've been a groom or they've been a mother on the sidelines or they've had an injury or come back to horses after 40 years. If they don't know any horse whispering, we have Horse Whispering 101. If they want to bring it back to horses in any capacity and they're looking at gentle communication, compassionate communication, but also an evolved program. Because I don't think anybody anywhere integrates the telepathic portion, the animal communication piece, the self-awareness for horse training. So it's a really cool piece for equine coaches to join us as well. There's not one course over the other. I could continue telling you about the intuitive riding courses and the confident horse, confident rider clinic, um, and we could go on. We've got an amazing retreat starting at the beginning of the year. I mean, talk about that. We've got Costa Rica. And Costa Rica, Jesse, we've got energy healing for yourself. So it's now about self-care. We move into life lessons for yourself at Liberty. So people walk out with a life lesson from a horse, so life coaching. Then we've got the horsemanship piece and the Reiki for horses, so they can take the energy healing to the horses as well as riding in Costa Rica. It's like a dream retreat.
0: Sounds like it. (laughs) Uh, you're getting buzzed right now by a future
1: participant. I know. I, think- <laughs> <laughs> I want to go to Costa Rica. Yeah, call to action.
0: There it is. There it is.
1: And it's around. It's around Valentine's Day, so we designed it that people could come. You know, that are are wanting that adventure. You're you're riding horses in Costa Rica by Arenal Lake, and you're going to go out there up to the volcano area or around the lake. It's just phenomenal and because of the volcano and the jungle the experience is truly heightened so for those that are looking for their own self-care or coaching so every coach needs to be coached Mm -hmm. or we're looking at you know a life-changing situation that they're coming to that they're involving horses and it's all around horsemanship because it's from the ground up and into the saddle if they choose and into the wilderness and jungle, mm. so really neat. So I, so I have about three retreats a year. One includes the in Wyoming, where we do healing for horses, and then the White Stallion Ranch at the end of the year, which is animal communication and self-development. Really neat. Amazing. So there you go. Hopefully, you hear my enthusiasm.
0: Ah, uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> it comes through. I, I want to jump back really quick. I thought of two things that I think are really relevant. So. You are a spouse and a mother um to humans.
1: <laughs> That's true, yeah.
0: And probably more. Um so I'm curious to know, you're talking about life lessons. How how would you say you've most benefited in those relationships with your partner and son from the work that you do with horses?
1: Oh, I was gonna tell you a funny story, wasn't I, um, earlier about the Premarin And um it, it's kind of reminds me of joseph because he was born seven seven weeks early mm. and um, it was funny. during my contractions i in between spacing the contractions i was educating the head of the missouri hospital on Primrin. of course <laughs> and, you were <laughs> and, and it was the, I it the cutest moment because he said okay contractions stop and i said okay i've got a breather here i can teach him about that and he was so kind the next day he came in To the room and he checked on Jojo. It was really cute. And then I'll never forget it because he said, Anna, I need you to know that all plant-based alternatives have the same, have the same component like um Premarin does. All of them can cause cancer. He said the plant-based don't not. And it was a huge piece for me because here I was going around saying you might want to choose plant-based because Premarin. Is known to call that everything can, everything can, and so I thought, how amazing of him to to take time out of his day to come and see me, but also to support me to see that's your passion. I'm going to educate you and enlighten you even more, which I I need too. So there is that piece. But let me tell you, every piece of horsemanship I've had has helped me to be a mother, and every piece. So from my youth onwards, I had actually decided not to have children because I'd only seen them be harmed. They were either being harmed, hurt, or they were causing pain and suffering to others. And I'd made a conscious decision that I didn't want to contribute to that. And it wasn't until my late 30s that I changed my mind and thought, you know what, maybe Vin and I can create an individual being that's actually really loving and hopefully and potentially could contribute to the world in a good way. And so Joseph was born. And everything I've done with the horses has helped me. Every learning style, every teaching style has come across. And they've mainly, mainly taught me my biggest lesson is to be present. Mm -hmm. And I vowed to myself, when I'm with him, I won't be thinking about things or moving ahead Or not noticing, or looking back, going, "Well, what did we do there?" I would be totally present. And of course, there's times we have to work, but that's not my present time, right? It would be put everything to one side, and now the focus is on you. And I feel that that's a huge, huge piece. And if I come into a challenge, Jesse, I do look back and go, "Oh, what's he really trying to tell me here? What's he really trying?" You know, you know, I, I. I'm like everybody else, I'm going to fail, I'm going to make mistakes. But I do look and go, what's he really trying to say? Uh, You know, he's got his words and he uses his words exceedingly well. But what's his body language saying? What's his action saying? And so that's been unbelievable support, which in turn has helped us heighten his intuition and really focus on the fact he talks to animals. He knows what they're saying. He senses it. He feels this. He's an incredible being that instead of shutting him down to say, well, that's that's just your imagination. I don't do that. I don't shut him down. And I've heard others do it. I've heard others, teachers of his or other people saying, well, they don't exist or that's not so. And I'll take him home and I'll go, is that what you believe? Because listen to your heart, believe it, and we'll have talks about it. And it's a huge piece to realize, yeah, it, not everybody understands. Not everybody's on the same page. Not every everybody believes like you do, Joseph. But this is why and this is what you need to do. And this is what you need to keep within yourself. Keep it alive. It's been a huge piece. Awesome.
0: Thank you. Do you have time for one more question?
1: Yes. and I, And I don't know if you do the same thing with your children. I don't know what you walked out of the clinic taking home with you because every time I'm with these guys, they'll remind me of something else. Yeah. And then it reminds me to take it home.
0: I, I think, you know, in my, I feel really fortunate to have my background in in psychology and human development and um, counseling. There's a great concept in the world of parenting that is like, it could be applied to the, the world of human relationship is really like track the intent more so than the behavior and i think that's what you you speak to really eloquently about the horses and how we can translate the sensitivity and the experience of that beyond just a heady concept into our bodies to be able to bring that to our kids and and our partners and our friends to be able to say i can actually trust that every impulse comes from a really organic good place and if we can as parents especially, really track the impulses in our children and not get so attached to some story about their behavior, um, then I think that's that's really powerful. And so I came in with, you know, a lot of practice and understanding of that. And I think what working with the foals and every time I work with the horses, it really reinforces um, just other parts of me that need to evolve or that mm-hmm. need to, or that need to just trust, you know, be trusted more and, and be worked with more and I think you're you're speaking to that more than anything
1: yeah it's it's beautiful it it never is and I saw a child the other day and um he can smile he can truly smile and I, I look at the picture and go but you're you're dead underneath, your eyes aren't sparkly, your smile is put on, and people aren't seeing you. And that breaks my heart. That really breaks my heart that every child is meant, it's meant to be good. They're enthusiastic to be on this planet. They're new to the planet. They're looking around, they're taking everything in. And then they're seeing these horrors or having these awful things happen. And that as I move forward too, I'm looking at bringing that joy back to every individual. And and you as a coach, as a psychologist, you know this. It's about reawakening that peace within us or learning to let go of what doesn't serve us anymore and the horses speak to that the best. Absolutely. There's no other species. There's no other species that is a flight animal that reflects who we truly are.
0: Great. So that's a perfect segue and I appreciate you handing me that on a silver platter I, i'm I, what, something that I feel really protective of the more I do this work is that there is a sort of a pop culture belief about um, horses being dangerous from the standpoint of being aggressive and um I wonder if you could you know obviously you and I understand the reverence of being sensitive to the power that a 1200 pound animal has. We're, we're not talking about that, but there's this belief that horses are sort of like mean and aggressive. And I wonder if you could just speak to that so that people can understand the truth that you've learned in your experience.
1: It's an interesting piece that comes out and I, and I have seen it. I've seen it in the media. I've seen it beyond. And I feel like it's been misinterpreted because like like you allude to here, they're they're, not allude to, you speak to 1,200 pounds, they're flight animals. And so you've got 1,200 pounds that can come at you very quick if they're running. You've got 1,200 pounds that if you're in the wrong place and they startle, you get body slammed and run over. And at the same place, if this animal feels like they're going to be hurt severely, they go from the flight into protective mode which is known as fight. So if somebody's coming at them and they feel like they can't get out and they have to protect themselves, they're exceedingly powerful. However, the truth is they're flight animals. Yes, They run away. They're not looking to to be in a situation where they can't get out. They're not looking for anything other than harmony, generally speaking. So they want to live in harmony And they sometimes don't realize that they've stepped on a foot. It's not all about calculations. They don't have that. So here's the thing. They do live in harmony. And yes, they do have discipline within that because otherwise you couldn't live together. Every cog cog plays a part. So every herd member plays a part and everybody has a role. And in a sense, they're equal for a passive-led partnership. They're equal, so the mums and the caretakers and the kids and and the elders, everybody's equal. It's only when you get a dominant stallion that it doesn't look equal. He kind of towers above them. So yes, you've got somebody that's exceedingly gentle. Now look at it this way. This individual can nuzzle you with their mouth. They can touch you. They can feel that minor insect on their skin. They can read your emotions and their sensitivity. They can feel barometric pressure changes. They're so sensitive that they love and want to be loved. They prefer to be in a herd environment, so togetherness counts for them. So yeah, they're exceedingly gentle if they're shown how to be. But they have to be shown how because for them, they see somebody there that could potentially hurt them. And if that person comes in right away and introduces pain and fear, then either they're going to be overpowered by that person or they're going to fight back or or what? They shut down. So at no point do we need to bring our power in. It's a, it's, a, it's a misbelief. It's a misunderstanding that you have to hurt them first before they hurt you. Their eye is the softest you'll ever know. Their muzzle will touch you. It's like velvet. You can snuggle up to them. And you can lie on their backs. They allow you to ride, ride you. They take you into the sunsets, right, everywhere you want to go. So ultimately, they're seeking to be, to be quite gentle. And as they get introduced into our world, that's what they need to be shown. If they're shown anything other, Jesse, it can open up doors. Oh, I
0: just wanted to point out because you've said this a couple times, and for many listeners who aren't familiar with, you know, the horse. World, I think the reason why Anna's saying they need to be shown, it's it's that not that they don't know how to be or they're they're not complete or something. It's that they can actually um, they can receive undue penalty in a human world. If, okay. So it's more it's more about kind of readying them for humans. But it's not that there's anything wrong with the horses. Thanks.
1: Go ahead. No, no. And it is that. Yes. Yeah, sorry, if I kept on repeating the same thing would need to be shown. It's that thing of if they're saying, how close may I come to you? And if you don't say, well, actually, could you step back a foot? They might come closer because they want to nuzzle, snuggle, be close or push you. So they have to get accustomed to our world. If, for example, they think it's OK to smell you and then eat your clothing, You've got to show them that actually it's not okay to eat my clothing or pick me up and walk off with me. You know, where they might say to their own kind, glance and then nip them because it's okay in their world to nip another. It's not necessarily okay in our world because if you nip us, we're going to get bruised where you might cock a leg to say, could you back off and tap an individual on the shin? You can't tap us as a human because it would hurt us. So they have to be guided also as to what's acceptable and what isn't acceptable because they're used to being a tad firmer on each other. And so that's where we have to guide them a little bit too, you know? Yeah,
0: well, and and that's my point that I want listeners to understand is when you're speaking about this, it's because if a horse – acts that way if you if you train or if you you know gentle a wild mustang and somebody adopts that mustang down the road that mustang could be sent away if if they if they do something that's just quite natural and non-malicious so that's what i want people to take from from your reference there yeah thank you yeah and that's not the horse's fault
1: (laughs) no it's not yeah and it's not you know I I could tell you so many stories, but very brief one. We had a Mustang come in that had been round penned. So this means a wild horse had been driven in a round pen extensively. And instead of simply just fleeing out of fright, he... He challenged, and he challenged with kicking up both hind feet, so double barreling. Well, that gets them in trouble because then they get whipped. And so the whip caused him pain, and he fought back towards the pain. So he ended up coming to me for gentling. He'd never been touched by a human. So his first introduction was to be chased and abused. First introduction. So now he had the title of killer horse. Hmm. Killer horse, savage horse. And so... That's where we need to take responsibility to say which human would chase another in a round pen. He's a flight animal. He's going to drop dead before he becomes submissive or he's just a submissive individual. That's where the education comes in. Stop round penning wild horses. It's not okay. Hmm. And when they defend themselves, they get a bad rap. So you've got to understand the culture, which is to invite them to you, invite them to you, get them to trust you, get the trust down, and everything else will follow.
0: Well, I can speak as a student of yours. That anybody thinking of looking into one of Anna's programs, uh, if if any of where she's coming from really jives with you, I highly recommend checking it out. It was incredibly um, transformative for me. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we wrap up? Anything we didn't get to mention?
1: I loved our course together. <laughs> we had a great time. We had such a diverse group. And we were fortunate this year. We had never opened it up to the public quite as much as we did this year. And we had 12 unique individuals. And what that group did, they proved to everybody, they proved to the world that somebody can come in as a novice. And so you you have an individual that doesn't know everything about a wild horse and their needs and their desires. And everybody was able to put the first touch on there and the first halter and the first leading And everybody had amazing intentions. Amazing intentions alone don't do it. Love alone doesn't cut it. The love can't conquer everything because you need some knowledge behind it too and to know the cause and the effect and the agenda. And it was incredible to watch the transformation from individuals. It's my hope that everybody took something home, just like you discussed, Jesse. Mm. It really is. Because these horses teach us so much more about horsemanship, And they're so much more delicate. You know, there's such strong warriors and yet exceedingly delicate underneath.
0: Beautiful. Thank you for that. Uh, Where should people go to check out more about
1: your work? Well, reach out to horses. Reach out to horses is the place. I'm hoping we will have our new website up and running at some point okay <laughs> There's some setbacks there but um it looks a little archaic right now but we're moving into the new one as soon as we can and it would be wonderful to see people we honestly have so much to offer from from wild to domestic from from little ones to big ones and geriatrics from on the ground into the saddle and everything in between with energy healing and animal communication too so it's a really comprehensive program. And for people that are looking for more evolved horsemanship or intuitive horsemanship, we are the place to come to.
0: Right on. Right on. Well, thank you so much for being willing to be a guest and um, for all the amazing work you're doing in the world.
1: It's my pleasure, Jesse.
0: To check out more from Anna 20, head over to anna20events.com. You can also connect with her work on YouTube under the Reach Out to Horses page. My question for you is this. Where in your world could you use a little more partnership or cooperation? And what would it take from you to make that happen? This has been the Super Givers podcast, and I'm your host and producer, Jesse Johnson. To hear past episodes, you'll find the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. If you're inspired enough to write a brief review on one of these platforms, please do. They help so much. You can learn more about me and my equine leadership work at supergivers.com. Thanks for listening.